0: Graduating preschool, high school, college, it's an exciting time to be able to move on to something new. And God always has in store for us something new. Whether it's something big and monumental, like finishing off high school or college, or well, whether it's something new that just comes every day, like His mercy. The hope that we have is profound. And one of the great joys that we have in life is community. God has established us for community. We are made in his image, and God is a communal God. There is only one God, but that one God exists as three divine persons. From eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have experienced glorious, perfect communion. So when God created us in his image, he created us with the ability not just to reason as he reasons, but to share in community as he shares in community. In fact, the very first problem that God identified for the man that he'd created, Adam, was not sin. Sin was his biggest problem to be sure. But before sin ever entered the picture, God identified the problem of isolation. God surveyed what he'd made and it was good, and yet God said it is not good for man to be alone, and he created for him a helper. Identifying the need for human to human community, when God created us in his image, he established for us many different types of relationship. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the idea of family is established. Adam and Eve, the great parents, had children, and these children left, and they went out, and they had more children. And there are a number of great relationships that we can have as human beings in God's community, beyond our relationship with God Almighty. Of course, there is the beautiful spouse relationship. And there is, of course, the family relationship. We all can remember our parents, and if we were blessed to have children, we can remember caring for them when they were young. Yes, we all have co-workers and neighbors. But there is a special relationship that God has an awful lot to say about in Scripture, and it is, of course, friendship. Friendship is a very, very important concept in the pages of Scripture, not just because... God has so much to say about it, but because how friendship involves a unique love. Now, there are many, many words in the Hebrew and in the Greek language that all get translated into the one English word, love. English is a little bit clunky in that regard, for there is one word that tries to encapsulate so many different aspects. Not so in the biblical languages. In the biblical languages, there are distinctions between romantic love and family love. And family love and this unconditional service love to the world. But there is a type of love that we probably most closely associate to our English word, like. I really like my friend. My friends are those that I have chosen. And that's a little bit different than most family situations. Of course, you choose your spouse in most scenarios, and yet that is a special kind of love because there's a different sort of tenderness and affection that comes with the spousal relationship where you become one flesh. In fact, you have children of your own if it is the Lord's will. But there is a relationship that is also chosen that... Is a little bit more along the lines of liking. Even though the Bible tells us that we're to love everybody, even our enemies, I don't like my enemies. And God doesn't assume that I will like my enemies. He wants me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. And so I will. I will love my enemies, and by that, I believe Jude 23 says, you can best love someone by snatching them from the flames. And so I will share the gospel with everyone I see. But friends are those I choose to surround myself with because I like them. And the Bible has lots of examples of biblical friendship. And we'll talk about five over the next five weeks. But the one that we will talk about today involves two of my favorite guys from the Old Testament Joshua. And Caleb. Yes, Joshua and Caleb are very, very good friends. And you probably remember the story of Joshua and Caleb. Think back to your Old Testament timeline. Now, after God created Adam and Eve, and after he went through the patriarchs, and he had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, then Israel found itself in slavery for 400 years at the hands of the Egyptians. And then we get to the book of Exodus. Moses is born and God starts moving. And after 400 years of being silent, God raises up a leader who is trained by Egypt itself to deliver God's people from Egypt itself. Yes, and the great story of the Exodus, where God establishes the Passover and flexes His divine might over the false Egyptian pantheon. And God leads His people out Going as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Leading them to the Red Sea. Parting the Red Sea. Delivering them unto salvation. Handing down the law through the great leader Moses. The people of Israel find themselves on the cusp of the land that was promised to them for centuries. And so... Before entering this land that was promised to them, Moses gathers leaders, one from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Joshua and Caleb are among those leaders. Joshua from uh, the tribe of Ephraim and Caleb from the tribe of Judah are the leaders selected to go out and explore the land and explore the land they do. In fact, Moses tells them to go explore the land and specifically look out to see, are the people many or are they few? Is the land good or is it bad? Are the towns well fortified and walled or are they easy plunder? Is the soil fertile? Does it have poor Conditions are good conditions. What are the trees like? And try to bring back some sampling of the fruit. And so these 12 leaders of Israel were sent on a secret spy mission. Moses said, when you go into this land, God has declared it to be flowing with milk and honey. Be careful not to be seen. Be careful not to be captured. Go and explore this land and get the lay of it. Reconnaissance. You must go so that God will be able to inform us what we must do to conquer this land. And so they went. They went. And these 12 Israelites went into the promised land, the first ones to touch the promised land in so many generations. And they explored and they found that the land was indeed good. Oh, it was good. And they got to the Valley of Escalon. And in fact, they said, we can bring back some of the fruit. After exploring the land and seeing the good fertile soil and seeing the glorious trees, they got some pomegranates and some grapes. And they were so large that they had to be put on a pole carried by two of the spies as they snuck back to the land by the Red Sea, by Sinai. And so it was that they returned And this was their report. We went to the land, and indeed it flows with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there, they are powerful. And the cities are well fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites and the Canaanites live there. Hearing this report pleased Moses. But it made some of the assembly nervous in fact of the 12 spies who were sent on this reconnaissance mission to explore the land promised to God's people two started to get a little bit nervous wait a minute the rest of the guys are emphasizing how big and bad the inhabitants of the land are and not how big and good the fruit of the land is I, I, I don't know what's going on here Caleb is a man of great valor and might and immediately before things got derailed stood up and proclaimed before the entire assembly, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And I can imagine Caleb taking out the sword that had been sheathed over his 40-day mission, flexing his mighty arm, demonstrating his power, rallying the people so that they can go. For Caleb was indeed a mighty warrior. But the men who'd gone up along with him, ten of these spies, said to Caleb directly, in front of the assembly, so that they could hear, we can't attack those people they're stronger than we are and they the 10 spies spread among the israelites a bad report about the land they had explored the land is filled with people who are so large it devours all who go there and the people who inhabit it are so they're like giants and they would devour us They would devour us. We are like grasshoppers in their eyes, and they saw us like grasshoppers themselves. We cannot do it. Well, the people started to complain. The people heard the bad report from these spies. After all, they were trusted reconnaissance agents. And the people started to complain and they started to grumble. And they started to turn on Moses. They started to turn on Aaron. They started to turn on God Almighty. And the people declared, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt? Egypt where you were slaves? Egypt, the land that held you in bondage and captivity, that's where you should have stayed. Yes, we should have stayed in Egypt. We can't do this. We're going to die. We're going to die out here. God delivered us out of Egypt just to die in this forsaken wilderness. And our children, our children, they're going to be taken as plunder. They're going to be taken as slaves. They're going to be taken as objects. They're going to be taken as plunder into this land that God supposedly promised us. And we're going to die. They complained. You know who heard their complaints? Joshua and Caleb heard their complaints. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes, ripped their garments cried out before the people. Caleb, the leader of the two, shouted out to them saying, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If God is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land flowing with milk and honey and He will give it to us. Joshua jumped in. Only do not rebel against the Lord your God and do not be afraid of these people in the land because we will devour them making sure to use the same language that those complaining about the promised land used oh the land devours people and the people there will certainly devour us no joshua and caleb they are ready for a tussle they're ready for a fight we will devour them with the lord's help do not rebel Caleb perks back up and says, their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And why would anybody be afraid of them? Oh, they're big? Oh, they're strong? Oh, they're mighty? Oh, they have power? You know who else was big, strong, mighty, and full of power? The Pharaoh of Egypt. And you know what God did to him? He smited him down quickly, killed his only firstborn son, and declared to everyone that he is the true God. How any person who could have literally just in the previous weeks and months experienced the power of God Almighty could be afraid Of merely human people who were inhabiting the land that God promised to them is mind boggling to me. And then I look in the mirror and I think, how anyone could continue on in unrepentant sin in the glory of God's grace is mind boggling to me. And yet I do. How is it that I continue on in sin? How is it that we continue on in our own foibles? Knowing the power of God. Sometimes we like to think the power of God displayed in the Exodus was one of the greatest moves ever. And it certainly was. And yet it pales in comparison to the blood of Jesus Christ spilled and shed for us. And the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead for our salvation. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And yet how often we turn back and cry out for the slavery we once endured if only it was like my BC days. If only I could just go run right back to that sin. This is no good. The world is turning against us. You can't even preach the Bible without people getting mad anymore. We're going to lose all kinds of money if we keep doing this God stuff thing. People are turning against us. The tide is changing. We should just let our little girls become boys. Our little boys become girls. We should just tell people, you're bad because of your skin color. You're good because of your skin color. We, could just, we should just tell them, there is no sin. There is no God. No! We must not be afraid we can certainly take what god has promised to us their protection is gone the lord is with us caleb and joshua knew it they had served together as brothers in arms on a 40-day reconnaissance mission along with 10 other weak and feckless leaders of israel they'd explored the land that god had promised they'd seen that it was good and they tried to rally god's people to the truth But some of them cried out as Joshua and Caleb finished their speech, stone them, kill these two who trust in the Lord, kill them dead. And they complained and they grumbled and God shined. As they cried out, kill and stone these two who have the gall and temerity to say we can take what God has promised, after saying kill them, God showed up and God showed off. And he lit up the sky and he let everyone know that he was still there before them. And he lamented, crying out to Moses, how long will these people grumble against me? I should just kill them all. And Moses said, no, God, please don't just kill them all. If Everybody will hear about it if you just kill them all. And they'll say, the Lord promised to rescue them from Egypt. He took them out and then he just killed them because he couldn't give them the land that he promised. Please don't kill them. I know that you're slow to anger and rich to forgive. God, please forgive. And God says, yes, I have forgiven And yet, God says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to the people the very thing I heard them say. And He said to the people, In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against Me, not one will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except... Caleb, and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the land to enjoy it just as I have promised and you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness 40 years one for each of the 40 days you explored the land I the Lord have spoken and I will surely do these things and then God got a head start on bodies lying in the wilderness and he struck down the 10 faithless spies and the only two to survive were Joshua and Caleb Well, then the people said, uh, okay, we get the the picture. Now we're ready. Let's go. We can surely take the land. And they tell Moses, we're ready to go. And Moses says, sit down. And they say, no, we're ready to go. Let's go. And he says, you're not going. And God's not going to be with you. And they said, no, we can do it. And he said, it's your funeral. God said what's going to happen. And we're not touching that land for 40 years. And so a bunch of the Israelites went and tried to get it. And they were beaten back by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Killed dead. Dead. The rest of the Israelites turned tail and said, 40 years? Okay, let's go. And for 40 years, they suffered. For 40 years, they wandered. God was still with them. God provided manna. God provided quail. God took care of their snake bites. God took care of them in every regard. And when all who were 20 years old or older had fallen and died, God brought the people to the promised land. Not even Moses was able to enter the promised land, but Moses needed a replacement. And you know the one who took over as Israel's leader. Joshua. Joshua took over, and he's the one who crossed the Jordan, and he's the one who led the people of God, and by his side Caleb And they were the ones who marched around Jericho. And they were the ones who saw Ai destroyed. And they were the ones who took on the Amalekites and knocked them down. They were the ones who battled the Canaanites and destroyed them. They were the ones now old, now gray, now older, now in their 80s. Now, this was a different time. Moses didn't even start as leader until he was eighty. And then he was the one who went and said, let my people go. And so now, these strong men who battled for the Lord have taken possession of the land that flows with milk and honey. Joshua, who's been told by God, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Caleb, who's been called by God, my wholehearted servant. In fact, Back before Moses had died, this is how God revealed to the rest of the people the truth. This is what Moses said, quoting God here. Because the people have not followed God wholeheartedly, none of those who were 20 years old or older will enter the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, except Caleb and Joshua, because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So after Moses' death, and after the conquering of the promised land, and after God had fulfilled his promise, and now finally delivered the land which was exceedingly good to Caleb and Joshua, Joshua is told, Be strong and courageous in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. And he and Caleb conquered the land. And by the time you get to Joshua chapter 14, Caleb says, I'm 85 years old. Joshua, you're the leader of the land. God promised me good land and here's Hebron. And you know what the man of God Moses said because you and I followed him wholeheartedly. I would see my reward. Now Joshua, leader of the people, take me, your friend and servant Caleb and deliver unto me what God has promised. And Joshua said, yours is the land of Hebron. And he was given the land and it was glorious. What made Joshua and Caleb so strong was their shared connection. And here's the truth that we must all recognize. The key to a strong friendship is having a shared mission. You've got to be on the same page with your friend. If your friend doesn't believe what you believe, if your friend doesn't like what you like, if you have no commonality with the person you claim to be your friend, then that friendship will dry up. It will evaporate. The great C.S. Lewis once said, you pick a friend by finding out who has common interest. I don't care if it's football or little white mice. You've got to like the same thing in order to like each other. But it's much more than that for the Christian. We must have a shared mission. Joshua and Caleb had a shared mission. They were both Seen as young, up-and-coming leaders of Israel. They had both seen what God had done. They have experienced the plagues. They have experienced the miracles. They have experienced the golden calf issue. They have experienced the death of about 3,000. They have experienced God's hand at work. They experienced the land. And they had a shared mission. And their shared mission to go and explore and report was glorious. And that's how their friendship was first forged. They shared a mission, but after that mission was completed, a new mission came about. They would be the only two from this generation who would enter the promised land, and so they had to shepherd the people. And in fact, growing in leadership, Joshua took over as the prime number one human leader of Israel. Caleb continued to serve as the mighty warrior, the outspoken man of God who was ready to tussle and ready to fight. We need more men like Caleb. We need more men like Joshua because they had a shared mission and they knew that they would get to the promised land. And once they were in the promised land, that mission was revealed anew again. They had to conquer. They had to fight. Sometimes they had to do it in peculiar and bizarre methods, marching around seven times and blowing horns. And then... Striking down those who would oppose them. Others, under the power of the Lord, they would rally their swords and they would slash and plunge them into those who opposed them. And they had to do it. And their shared mission was to conquer and to evict. And conquer and evict they did. And then, they finally got to enjoy the spoils that God had promised so long ago. They had a shared mission. Christian, You need a shared mission with your friend. You all need friends. I know you need friends. I know that you need friends. Because even though we live in a world where you can have the maximum number of social media friends available, our human-to-human connections have gone down. It's not just because of the pandemic. It's because of technology and the way in which we live. We don't have friends like we used to have. We don't have brothers in arms and sisters we call and those we love so dearly. And friend, we instead, we send a friend request. And friend, instead, we try to let people know about how great our life is with a picture of our meal or our great grandkids celebration or something else. And, and, and we don't experience the same level of connection. You need a shared mission. Now, what could our mission possibly be as a Christian? What could our mission be? Well, our mission is, of course, the gospel. Think about just how it was told to Joshua to be strong and courageous. Think about how we need strength and courage in order to carry out this mission. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed and of which I have become a servant. The mission that we have is the gospel. We need to declare to people that God has reconciled us by Christ's physical body. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed so that our blood does not need to be shed. He is the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement. He's the one who took our place and was punished for our sin. He's the one who paid for our sin debt. It's through His physical body, which is what we remember when we do communion. That's what happened on the cross. He was raised from the dead to prove that his sacrifice worked. And if we place our faith in him, we are without blemish, free from accusation, and in fact, holy in God's sight. The theologically fancy word for those concepts together is justified. You're justified. You're holy in God's sight, which means you stand justified before Him. Oh, the bad things you've done, you turned back to your sin and wished you were back in slavery again, He has made you holy. He's brought you to the promised land of His presence. You don't have accusation, and even though the enemy seeks to accuse you, and even though the world seeks to accuse you, God sees right through that nonsense, and instead He sees you as one free of blemish. So how do you get this glorious thing? Well, it tells us right here, If you continue in your faith. You have to be saved by grace through faith. God's grace has appeared to everyone, says Titus 2.11. Why isn't everyone saved? Because Ephesians 2.8 says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Not everybody demonstrates faith. God's grace is awesome. And he showers it on you and me and your enemy and everyone. And yet not everyone accepts him because not everyone has faith. To have faith, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that God raised Him from the dead. You trust that He has the best for you and you demonstrate a willingness to obey Him. That's faith. Because if you claim to believe it's true and yet you don't ever trust that He'll take care of you and you don't ever do anything based on that faith, James will ask, then how do I know your faith isn't even dead? Maybe your faith is dead. After all, faith without works is dead. You have to believe and trust and lovingly obey. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, you continue to be free from blemish, free from accusation, and holy in God's sight. This is the gospel. This is the mission. And you know what we need to do? Just as God told Joshua to stand strong and be courageous, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16:13: be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. It's not just an Old Testament imperative to be strong and courageous. The New Testament tells us the same thing. You better be on your guard because we live in a world that will seek to push you from your faith in Christ. We live in a world where education pushes people from Christ. We live in a world where government pushes people from Christ. We live in a world where entertainment pushes people from Christ. You'd better be on your guard because it's not easy being a Christian out there these days. You'd better be on your guard and you'd better stand firm in the faith. After all, remember what Paul said. If you remain in your faith, established and firm, and do not move, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. That's what we must do. Be courageous, be strong. The Lord is surely with us. Their protection is gone. We can take the land. We can be ambassadors of Christ to this fallen and dying dark world and we can shed and share and show the light of God's grace on everyone. We can surely do it. And yet we've got too many Christians afraid to do it. Complaining. Wondering. Wouldn't it just be better if we were back? No! You know who you need? You need a Joshua. If you are Caleb and you're ready to fight, you need a Joshua to stand arm and arm. You know who you need? You need a Caleb. If you're a Joshua, if you're a leader, you need a bulldog by your side who's ready to yell at anyone who says we can't do it. Pull his sword and march alongside you for 40 years, ready still to kill the enemy. I thank God for my Caleb. I thank God for my Caleb. I thank God for Clay O'Dell, who's my very best friend. I thank God for the men who have surrounded me in this church, like Chris Carino, and like Matt, and like Cody, and like Jason. These men who have surrounded me, and helped me, and keep me strong. There are no people I would rather stand next to in the fight than that group. Because they are ready to go. You need someone who can help you. And you need someone who can help you because we've got a job to do. Now, the key to a strong friendship is having a shared mission. And you know what the mission of Glendale Christian Church is, right? You know, like, it's on the wall. You walk past it, it's three whole words to make disciples. We take the gospel of Jesus Christ and we share it with the world because we want to make disciples. We want to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and we want to share that knowledge and love. Our mission is to make disciples. You better find somebody who loves that mission and together your friendship can blossom and bloom. Now, think about it. Think about it like this. When you have somebody who's a shared mission, even if you're not the same, you can become really good friends. I'll use Clay as my example. I first met Clay O'Dell when he was uh, an awesome, you know, part-time police officer, still on reserve. He was the big man on campus, uh, all-American college baseball player at Ozark. Everybody loved him. Everybody wanted to be around him. And I was his professor for two classes. And I could tell right away, this guy's got it. This guy's awesome. And not only was he great in my apologetics class, he was great in my historical background to the gospels class. I had him do some student teaching. He knocked it out of the park and I said, man, you better get a master's degree. You should be teaching this stuff. You have got it. Well, after I got canned and he graduated, he went to the Marines for four years and we didn't talk for about five. I was too embarrassed to reach out to anybody. I was just hiding in my little wilderness ready to die. And God said, no, dummy, come on. It's time to get going. And he did it by saying through Clay O'Dell. Hey, do you want to go meet at Chick-fil-A? He'd gotten out of the core. Now married, now with a kid, out of the core, came back to Arkansas and said, hey, let's meet up. I don't know anybody around here. Let's get together. And we did. And I was totally scared and nervous. I remember he showed up and he had, he had his uh, St. Louis Cardinals jacket and ball cap on. And I, of course, had a Superman jacket on. And we met and we, and we, we started hanging, hanging out. And every Wednesday... Every Wednesday, because we had something in common. We had a shared mission. We knew that the gospel was above all. It didn't matter if I've never served my country in you know, the military or that he'd been you know, all, the way, all the way raising through the ranks of the Marine Corps. It didn't matter if I just watched baseball and he played baseball. It didn't matter if I taught and he went to class. We have the gospel in common. And even though we were different, and even though he's a, a man of prowess and physicality, and even though I'm not, we have the gospel in common. And we started hanging out, and I realized, I really like this guy. This guy is great. I like him. He likes me. And we started going to movies, and we started hanging out. And our friendship grew and blossomed, because we had a shared mission. In fact, it was shown through our lives that we each, even though we have our mission to make disciples, we each have our own particular mission. Now, my personal mission in life, my mission statement is to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. Well, Clay shares that mission. He's on board, and so we talk about correct God stuff all the time. We'd stay up till midnight, two, three in the morning talking about the impeccability of Christ, or about these other excellent scriptural ideas. And and he was my theology guy, he was my philosophy guy. He was the only one I could talk to. He's the only one who cared about the deep stuff of God that I knew. And so I liked him and I poured my time into him, and he poured his time into me, and our friendship developed and grew and we also understand the power of getting people to think creatively about God's stuff So when I dressed up in my skin tight Superman suit and I went to the Down syndrome buddy walk, he dressed up as a Jedi and we went there and we took pictures with a bunch of little kids and we took pictures with a bunch of Down syndrome people and we put a smile on their face because we recognize you can share the light of God's grace, not just by proclaiming the truth, but sometimes by dressing up in cosplay and being nice to a kid and telling them that God loves them. You can do it in so many different ways. And I've seen Clay do it in a hundred different ways. I've seen him do it on the Harley. I've seen him do it uh, uh, you know, down the street. I've seen him at Men's Encounter preach the single best sermon I've ever seen till I heard him do it six months later. Till I heard him this last February preach the single best sermon I'd ever seen. And in response, 21 guys got baptized in the morning. That, that, that's, how, that's how good he is. He is Caleb. He is ready to fight for the gospel. I am so grateful that alongside him and moving here to Missouri, I met Chris Carino. I met Matt and Cody and Jason. And these guys have become my friends. I like them. They like me. And together, we have a mission. We all are here to make disciples. I am here to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. But we all do that in different ways. We all do that in different ways. How do you do it? With whom do you make disciples? Who stands right next to you for the fight? Are you ready to go tussle and take on those who would seek to push us, intimidate us, get us off the ground of of God's morality? Or are you ready to stand firm, to be strong, to be courageous, arm in arm with your brother in arms? Well, I hope you are. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I've got a mission for you. Specific to this week, very sub under the bigger mission of Make disciples. Here's what I want you to do. This week, would you read six chapters of Scripture? Would you please read Numbers 13, Numbers 14, Numbers 32? You only have to go to the first 13 verses of that one. Deuteronomy chapter 1, Joshua chapter 14, and Colossians 1. This is six chapters of Scripture. Now, if you don't want to write these down, don't worry. They're in the bulletin. If you open up the bulletin, it's on the uh, inside back of the bulletin. All these chapters are right there. I I want you to read these six chapters. I want you to hear about Joshua and Caleb. I want you to hear about our charge to preach the gospel message. I want you to recognize the mission. Next, I want you to memorize 1 Corinthians 16.13. It's also in the bulletin. I want you to memorize this verse. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. This is a verse of power. And I want you to have it tattooed upon your mind. I want you to know this verse inside and out. I want you to write it down, and I want you to put it on your bathroom mirror so that you see it every time you brush your teeth. I want you to play it on loop in your mind. I want you to write it down. I want you to read it. I want you to memorize it. And I want this verse to encourage you Not only this series, but your entire earthen life. Be on your guard. The enemy prowls. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Don't let anything move you. Be courageous. Ready to fight. Be strong. Able to fight. And don't do it alone. Last, I want you to invest. I want you to invest in the mission and in those who share it. I want you to recommit to the mission of making disciples. I want you to commit. I want you to invest in that commitment. And I want you to invest in those who share that commitment. There's lots of ways you can do it. You could come back tonight to our uh, night of worship. We're going to have an extended time of worship at 6 o'clock. We're going to sing a bunch of songs. It's going to be awesome. Some that we have not sung in this building since I've been here. We're going to get to sing. We're going to sing some of the best of the old, some of the best of the new, and a whole bunch in between. It's going to be great. From 67, extended worship, then communion, then a little bit of info. No sermon, no, no lengthy, long winded treaties on friendship and fighting. Nope. We're going to sing, we're going to remember, we're going to be encouraged, and we're going to get on out of here. It's going to be less than an hour. It's going to be so fun. Come on back! Tonight from 6 to 7. Maybe you need a shared hobby. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could go to a Springfield Cardinals ball game the day before Father's Day at 635. We bought 50 tickets. If you want to buy one of those tickets from us, we've got them at the hub. You can go there. You can sign up, and you can take your family out. You can join the Glendale family at the Springfield ballpark, 50 people strong, all there, ready to proclaim the gospel to everyone who needs to hear it. Because you know what? One of the reasons I like Clay is he likes baseball. I like baseball. We talk about baseball. You know, when you have something in common, you like them. Have in common worship. Have in common God stuff. Have in common the mission. I don't care what it is. Maybe you're a car guy. Okay, let's do a car show. Maybe you like tea. Let's go to one of the great tea houses in town. Maybe... You are just bored and lonely. All right, let's link you up, not online, but in person with people who share the God. This is the place you find the deep, lasting friendships. This is the place. It's in God's house because it's God's house that's filled with God's people who are ready to do God's work. Let's stand and praise God's name. Dear heaven.